Greetings, friends and brethren. This is Dr. Bob Teal to Continuing Church of God. I want to talk about Jesus and the Day of Atonement. Now, the Christian Day of Atonement is based on an English translation of the Hebrew for that day. The Jews tend to call Yom Kippur. In the original Hebrew, the Bible calls the day Yom Hakapurim, which is... uh, Hebrew for the Day of Atonements, plural, by the way. And most people who profess Christianity don't keep it. They don't understand what it's about. Oh yeah, some of the scholars talk about it. They say, yeah, the, the, the Jews kept it, the children of Israel kept it. But they don't speak, think too much about it. They don't think it's particularly relevant. They know partially, probably somehow pictures Jesus and it was a, they think it was a shadow of things to come, and they get beyond that. But is there more to it than that? And is it actually helpful to observe this day to have a better understanding of Jesus as the atonement? Well, first let's go to the uh, Old Testament and read just a little bit about the day. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 23. I'm primarily going to be reading from the New King James Version of the Bible today. So let's start off with verse 1. And the Lord, the Hebrew word uh, Yahweh, spoke to Moses saying, Speak the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of the Lord, which you proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. So these are God's holy days. They're not just the days of Moses. But God did tell Moses about them, who wrote this down. If we go down to verse 26, we see that the Lord said to Moses, On the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. Now this is based upon the biblical calendar. The seventh month of the biblical calendar it runs in either September and or October each year on our Roman calendar. Anyway, so this day shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by the fire of the Lord. You shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For anyone who is not afflicted in the soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. And if any person who does not who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among the, his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath, a solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening. From evening to evening you shall celebrate your Sabbath. It's also mentioned in uh, Numbers uh, 29, so it's about the same same basic day, and you shall afflict your souls and not do any work. So when it says from evening to evening, it's kept from sunset to sunset. Now fasting is historically how the phrase Afflict your souls um, has been understood or interpreted by uh, Jewish and uh, uh, Church of God communities. And basically we encourage all who are physically able to fast uh, to do so. Uh, people we wouldn't, we don't do it would be like, like infants, really small children, uh, pregnant nursing women, uh, some diabetics, some other health conditions depending because these people are already afflicted. 
Now, why the idea this usually means fasting? Now, I'm going to go more into Jesus' aspect of this day, but let's just go through this for just a moment. I'm going to go to Psalm 35. I'm going to read verse 13. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting. And my prayer would return to my own heart. And by the way, this term, humbled myself, I humbled is the same word for, that's used for afflict my souls. Uh, Strong's word 6031. You also see this in Psalm 69.10. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that became my reproach. And also, I'll read Isaiah 58, verse 5. Is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul. So we see the idea of afflicting soul being tied in with fasting, at least three verses in the Old Testament. Now around the time of Jesus, uh, the Day of Atonement was simply called the fast. And we can see that in the New Testament. Uh, so it was common knowledge that it was called the fast, and people fasted on that particular that particular day. And observant uh, Christians and some others and some of the Jews will fast from sunset on the ninth day of the seventh month until sunset the uh, tenth day of the month. Again, those who are able to do that. We have other messages about fasting and etc. And I'm not going to go through all of this. But when you're fasting, it's you're not supposed to be doing it as an outward show. It should be between uh, you and God and realization that we can't save ourselves, that physically we are weak, that you know you can't go too many days without food and water. Fasting should help us draw closer to, to God. Because of the timing of the Day of Atonement, I kind of like to think of it's kind of like a pause just before you go to the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, God kind of gets your body to flush out toxins, Gets you to stop for a moment and reflect. And we know in the uh, New Testament that uh, Jesus fasted for 40 days. And after he did, he began his ministry. You can read about that fasting in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus fasted those 40 days before facing Satan. And Obviously, we think his followers should fast at least one day a year on the Day of Atonement. People shouldn't think they're so strong spiritually that they don't need to fast. And by the way, the Day of Atonement is not the only day we recommend fasting. Well, we believe it's commanded for the Day of Atonement for those who are physically able. But otherwise, we suggest that uh, Christians try to fast uh, like once a month. They're getting that. It's not a requirement. It's a suggestion. Now, let's go to the uh, book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 30. In Exodus, we see some of the original rites and practices of the Day of Atonement. Starting verse 1, find out about there's an altar and uh, you know how it's made. And 
you put gold on it, verse 6, you should put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that's over the testimony, where I will meet you with you. So they had to build a certain type of altar for God to meet. And God would meet, in a, in a sense, with a high priest. Verse 7, Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning. When he tends the lamps, he'll burn incense on it. Lights the lights at twilight. Verse 10, And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. Now, I want to continue here in Exodus 30. Let's go down to uh, uh, verse 31. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, that every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. This is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give. A half shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is 20 geras. Half shekel should be an offering to the Lord. It's probably around an ounce, let's say, of silver or something. Everyone included among those who are numbered from 20 years of old above. This is kind of where we see from the Old Testament adults versus non-adults at age 20. To give an offering to the Lord. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel when you make your offering to make atonement for yourselves. You can't buy your way in. But it still should cost you. And you shall make atonement, take the atonement money of the children of Israel, and shall point it for the service of the tabernacle, the meeting, the memorial uh, for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. Now, Jesus paid the price for us. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 7.23, you were bought with a price. Now, I want to go to 1 John 2.2, and you don't have to go there. I'm going to read this from uh, the Berean Study Bible. 1 John 2.2 says, He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and only not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now notice there's a two-part separation here. Ours meaning those who are being called in the church age, Christians of this age, and also the whole world. Now there's a unique ceremony that's discussed in Leviticus 16. So let's go there. I want to go to uh, verse 8. And this one... I'm going to read from the the ASB. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for Jehovah and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat upon which the lot fell for Jehovah, or Yahweh, and offer him for sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be set alive before Jehovah to make atonement for him to send him away for Azazel into the wilderness. Christians note that there's parallels between the first of the two goats with Jesus and the second of the two goats with uh, Satan, the Azazel goat. Such as, for example, Jesus gets killed uh, and was sacrificed, but uh, Satan does not. 
and not in this age. Now, let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. Go to the New Testament. I keep glancing over for my water, and I, even though I'm not uh, recording this on the Day of Atonement, I don't have any water here, uh, so I don't accidentally tempt people that it's okay to, to drink water on the Day of Atonement unless you absolutely have to. Anyway, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 says, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. We, we read about the one made with hands in Exodus 30. That is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all. Now the priest, the high priest would enter once a year. Jesus only had to do it once. Having obtained eternal redemption, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, the sprinkling of the unclean, sanctifies the purifying of the flesh, how much more the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The high priest only entered the most holy place, known as the Holy of Holies, or the mercy seat, once a year, and that was on the Day of Atonement. Now, why are sacrifices, uh, animal sacrifices obsolete, but fasting isn't? Well, the difference between them is the rituals were commanded to be performed by the priest. It was a type of sacrifice of the Messiah. The fasting was commanded for everybody. So that's one of the reasons why we continue to fast. And, you know, Jesus' sacrifice is what the animal sacrifices basically foretold. And his sacrifice fulfilled. It's the one and only for eternal redemption. Now, let's go to uh, the book of uh, Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. Um, Before you go there, I do want to make another comment. As I mentioned before, in Hebrew, uh, the day is a day of atonement, it's plural. On that day, the high priest would atone for himself, the sins of himself, and then others. But Jesus didn't have to uh, atone for his own sins, because he didn't have them. Alright, now... Let's go into uh, Genesis 3, starting in verse 6. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye, and desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed uh, fig leaves together and made themselves covering then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he, Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, that's God, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you shouldn't eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree that I ate. It's not really my fault, God. You made her. 
the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you've done? The woman said, The serpent, which you made, deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, you're cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat the dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. It's a prophecy about Jesus. And you shall bruise his heel. What this shows is despite human sinning, God said he would send a redeemer who would eliminate Satan. This was not an afterthought. Let's go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, go to verse 17. 1 Peter 1 verse 17. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. You know, a lot of people live according to traditions from their relatives, their family. And they're wandering aimlessly. But you're redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. This is always the plan. But was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory to your faith and hope are in God. I want to go to Leviticus chapter uh, 16, starting verse 15. The slain goat in the atonement ceremony represents Christ who actually dies for our sins. And even uh, Protestant and Eastern Orthodox Roman Catholic scholars tend to understand that. So anyway, Leviticus 16, starting verse 15. Talks about the high priest shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bringing its blood inside the veil. Do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. He shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, and because of their transgressions for all their sins, and so he shall do for the tabernacle of the meeting, which will remain among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of the meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out, that he may make atonement for himself, his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. And he shall go out to the altar that's before the Lord and make atonement for it. And shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat, put it on the horns of the altar all around. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, cleanse it, and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. Now Christ's sacrifice is an atonement sacrifice to reconcile us to God. Now we can read something the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5. I'm going to read uh, verses uh, 18 and 19. To the Corinthians, Paul wrote again, 2 Corinthians 5, 18. Now, All things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, 
who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, or ours to us, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, I'm going to read Proverbs 16, verse 6. Old Testament, you have to read to go there. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. And by fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. So in the Old Testament, we're seeing, they were told, atonement has to do with sin and iniquity. And yes, that was part of the ceremony that we read about with the, with the two goats. But it's not just mentioned there. And again, we see it in in the New Testament. Furthermore, in Psalm 65, don't have to go there if you don't wish. Starting in verse 2, the psalmist writes, O you who hear prayer, to you all flesh will come. Iniquities prevail against me and... For our transgression, you will provide atonement for them. Jesus died for our iniquities. And for more prophecies about uh, Jesus, I'll just pull this particular book up called Proof Jesus is the Messiah. This book and any other book or book that I might hold up are available free at at our website, www.ccog.org. ccog.org. Now notice, says to you, all flesh will come, and you provide atonement for them. Many people do not understand God's plan of salvation. They do not understand how the Day of Atonement ties in with God's plan of salvation. So I'm holding up two other books. One's called Universal Offer of Salvation. Got hundreds of scriptures that many people do not understand. And we also have a book, fairly thick one, about how the continuing church of God differs from Protestantism because they don't understand the atonement. They don't understand God's plan for all. And there's hundreds of scriptures in this book too. Uh, As well as this one. Uh, Yes, our books are filled with scriptures. Why? So you can search the scriptures daily to see if these things are, are so. Now, Let's go to Isaiah 53. We'll go into uh, some prophecies related to Jesus. Isaiah 53. We'll start with verse 1. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness that... And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected by men. And throughout history, God's leaders have been despised and rejected by most men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, for our sins, and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. One of the blessings of what Jesus went through is uh, 
having healing available. Verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. So the transgression of my people, he was stricken. And those prophecies came to pass. And Paul up this particular book. So part of the reason to prove Jesus is the Messiah. Now I want to go to 1 John 4.10. I'm going to read this again from the Berean Study Bible. It says that Jesus is the atonement. 1 John 4.10 And love consists in this, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. I'm also going to read from Romans 3.25, also from the Berean Study Bible. You don't have to go there. God presented him as the atoning sacrifice through faith in his blood in order to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he passed over sins committed beforehand. Now I'm going to go to Ephesians 1.7. This will be from the New King James. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Acts 20, verse 28, you have to go there, New King James. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, a shepherd, the church of God, which he purchased with his blood. Jesus is the head of the church, he purchased it with his blood, the atoning sacrifice. Now I want to go to Romans 5, starting with verse 6. New King James. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Yes, you were ungodly. For scarcely, for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, some will even dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, much more than, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We are to live our life as Jesus did and imitate him. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Now, I'm going to read from the Old King James, verses 11, 12, and 17, from Romans 5. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed unto all men, that all have sinned. Verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Jesus was the atonement for us to reconcile us to God. 
Alright. Now Christians that observe the Day of Atonement normally teach that on this day they're to be a one with God. And that fasting assists in humbling them, makes them realize how dependent they are on God for all their needs, and that we need to love one another and, and those we don't know. They also believe that they're dependent upon the sacrifice of Jesus for their salvation. But that Satan plays a role in encouraging people to sin. Now I want to read something from the Old Testament, Psalm 79.9, and then the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 15, about this. So let me go to uh, the Old Testament, Psalm 79, verse 9. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name, and deliver us and provide atonement for our sins, for your name's sake. Now notice, asking for atonement for their sins. So wait a second, children of Israel, didn't they have like animal sacrifices once a year for atonement and all that? Yes. This is a prophecy of Jesus coming to be the atonement for our sins. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. Read something from the Apostle Paul. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to Scriptures. Now the Scriptures being referred to here have to do with the Hebrew Scriptures, or what we call the Old Testament. And these were confirmed by the, in the New Testament. I'd like to read over a little bit about what uh, the late Pastor General of the Old Worldwide Church of God, Herbert W. Armstrong, uh, wrote about the Day of Atonement. Uh, after quoting Leviticus 23, 20 parts of there, he writes, At one minute with God, atonement with God, man at last made one with his maker. It's a wonderful mystery. So in the 16th chapter, uh, we we see some symbolism uh, about this day. He says, Day of Atonement pictures a, a wonderful and great event to take place after the second coming of Christ. The world is total ignorance of this. He talks about uh, different, different goats. One goat uh, is to be sacrificed and the other is to be led away. He says, many people have different understandings about this. This word azazel, the azazel goat, doesn't appear anywhere else. Uh, some thought it means uh, scapegoat, but it, it, it does not. Uh, it means uh, the goat that went away. And there were two types of goats. Um, uh, one, one that God uh, uh, selected through Lot was to represent Christ, and it was slain. Now it's interesting, by the way, and I didn't go through the entire uh, ceremony, Leviticus 11, 16, on this, but uh, they had to cast lots, which one was one for uh, God and which one was the Azazel goat. And a lot of times people don't seem to be able to tell the difference between uh, God's leaders and Satan's leaders in this time. Uh, yes, deception is uh, it makes things very difficult. 
Anyway, he writes that uh, goat selected through Lot to represent Christ was slain, as Christ, its antitype was slain. But the other goat selected by God to represent Azazel was not slain, but was driven alive in the uninhabited wilderness. It was not a resurrected goat, symbolized the resurrected Christ, because it never died. The uninhabited wilderness, which its goat was driven, cannot uh, represent heaven where Christ went. Heaven is not uninhabited or uh, or wilderness. Now the risen Christ, he says, is now at the right hand of the throne of God. And he's called our high priest. And so, as I mentioned before, the high priest was to do the atonement both for himself and for the, for the congregation. Jesus didn't have, have to do it for for himself. And uh, a few points to be men- mentioned here. Uh, we we can read about uh, in the book of Revelation about a bottomless pit being an uninhabited wilderness, such as in Revelation 18.2. And we know that Satan will be bound for a thousand years in the bottomless pit, according to uh, the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation. Now, Herbert Armstrong writes a few points to keep in mind. Both ghosts were presented before the Lord. Can Satan be presented before the Lord? Well, Job 1, 6 and 2, 1 says he presented himself. And the uh, uh, Azazel was driven away from the Holy of Holies, a symbol of God's presence. Herbert Strong wrote, The day of atonement was instituted forever to keep continually before God's children and his church the plan of redemption to occur after the second coming of Christ. And he says, we find this holy day recognized in the New Testament, in Acts 27.9, when Paul was in a perilous sea voyage to Rome to record him when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed. The fast refers to the Day of Atonement, the tenth day of the seventh month. Now, this day could not have been passed in that particular year unless it was still effect and in force in existence. Otherwise, the Holy Spirit would never have inspired those words. Now, I want to go to John 3.16. And I also like to read verse 17. As I've mentioned many times, many in in the Protestant world like to read John 3.16 and focus on that. And that's fine, except they tend to overlook what the next verse has to say. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life verse 17 for God did not send his son into the world to to condemn the world but that through the world the world through him might be saved Jesus just did did not die just for the elect now it's true God's only calling his son now and we have a booklet on that the sacrifice of the goat during the uh, atonement sacrifice ceremony helps picture that Jesus didn't just die for the elect. But in this age, only some are being called. 1 Corinthians one twenty six says, For you see your calling, brother, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. And in Romans 11.5, they don't have to go there. Paul writes, Even so then, at this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. 
So there's only some being called now. But let's go to 1 Timothy 2. 1 Timothy 2, starting in verse 1. Paul writes, Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplication, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Giving of thanks for all men and women. For kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life and all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Saving all is God's desire. The Bible is clear, only some are being called now. God has a plan in due time for others to be called later. Is this something? Protestant world doesn't understand, generally speaking. And although it was a belief of the original Catholic Church, most of the Greco-Romans uh, don't grasp it. Eastern Orthodox uh, Catholics do have some, some at least have some grasp of it, but because they don't keep God's holy days, they don't have as much of a grasp as I think they should have. But people seem to overlook this fact that he gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Some in this age and others in the age to come, which again is discussed in various books that we have, but this particular one that I held up, it's also mentioned in here as well, and some of the other ones are discussed. God is not a respecter of persons. Uh, Acts 10.34 So surely God's plan has to include those who are not called in this age. We do not teach universal salvation to continuing church of God, but we do teach that all will have an opportunity for salvation. Those called in this age and all others in the age to come. Now the New Testament teaches in 1 Corinthians 10, 10 and 11 that what happened to the children of Israel was examples for us. So I'm going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Now consider that in the Old Testament, the children of Israel observed Passover. The Passover was commemorated by the striking of the firstborn of Egypt and uh, the death angel passing over the children of Israel. You can read that in Exodus 12. Ancient Israel was God's elect. Deuteronomy 7, starting verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more a number than any other people. For you are the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore, know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps His covenant and mercy for a thousand generations for those who love Him and keep His commandments. Now, let's go to First Peter chapter 2. Because it's in the New Testament, we see who's the chosen people? 
the Christians, those who are called uh, and accept the calling and are chosen this age. 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And you will be, by the way, I just didn't say this in this part, involved in helping those who were not called in this age later. Verse 10. Who were once not a people, but are now the people of God. We have people uh, uh, in uh, Asia, uh, uh, Latin America, uh, the Americas, Australia, New Zealand, Europe, Asia, and Africa. I think I covered... I covered those. I covered all the inhabited continents. And if I missed one, I'm I'm sorry. But who we're not all considered one people ethnically, but we're now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Now, in First Corinthians five seven eight, we know that Jesus was a Passover lamb sacrificed for us, and he was only slain once, according to Hebrews nine twenty eight. But we're seeing with atonement a ceremony other than Passover where Jesus is ceremonially slain, but this time represented by a goat. Now a lot of people speculate about this, but I think there's uh, scriptural clues along with the fact that this happens before the release of the second goat in that ceremony. Now the, in the original Passover... This only, this only this resulted in only the children of Israel being passed over for their sins. And in this age, those who are true Christians claim the sacrifice of Jesus, the Lamb of God. On his, uh, and on his final earthly Passover, he paid the penalty for our sins. Now like the ancient children of Israel, real Christians are only a small minority of the population of the world. And Jesus calls us, by the way, a little flock. Now, since God's desire is for all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, we see Jesus' sacrifice pictured twice in the biblical holy days. The holy days picture God's plan of salvation. I've got, I've got a booklet on that. I will hold that up as well. It's not that long a book, you can, uh, but it's documented with both scriptures and historical references. It's available again at the ccog.org website. Anyway, the whole day's picture of God's plan of salvation. From the start of the church age in Acts chapter 2 to present, this is, uh, we consider this the church age. The church started Acts 2, now until Jesus comes in back, it's the, uh, this age lasts until Jesus returns, which he does in the seventh and last trump, 1 Corinthians 15 52 which is one of the trumpets pictured by the Feast of Trumpets. After the church age is over, Jesus' sacrifice will be accepted by more than the elect. And it's not because Jesus is going to be sacrificed again, only one time. Hebrews 12.2 says, Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Passover shows part of why he's the author. In the Day of Atonement, helps us show that he is also the finisher, as does his return at the last trumpet, pictured in the feast, with the Feast of Trumpets. 
Now, so although Greco-Roman Protestants tend to think the atonement was just a past event, the understanding of the Day of Atonement points to a future time and shows an aspect of God's plan of salvation that most seemed to have missed. But it's a truth that I believe has been restored within the continuing Church of God. As Christians, this picturing of Jesus as the go to the atonement also shows us that we're not better than others. And that although we're the ones who have accepted Jesus' Passover sacrifice, others will attain his atoning sacrifice later. Then I want to go to Hebrews chapter 9. I'm going to start with verse 23, but kind of read over it and then get to more depth in a moment. It says, Therefore it was necessary that copies of things in heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things being themselves with better sacrifices these. For Christ is not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but in heaven itself, but now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often, and this is one of the problems that the Romans have, is uh, they have a tendency to say they sacrifice Jesus all the time with, their, with, with Mass. As the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of one another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrificing of himself. Is our atoning sacrifice. And as is appointed for men once to die, and after this a judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he shall appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. Now, Jesus' appearance will not only bring salvation to Christians when they were resurrected, will bring the possibility of salvation to others who were not called in the church age. Since the Bible calls Satan the god of this age, who is blind to this world, Second uh, Corinthians 4.4, 4, people have been blinded and have not yet been covered by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. But this will happen for all. Either those who are called in this age or those will be called in the age to come. And I keep grabbing uh, books, booklets on here. A lot of people say they know their Bibles, but sometimes they haven't put things together quite right. Why? Remember the word tradition? People follow by tradition. A lot of preachers preach based on tradition. Uh, and the opinions of PhDs or THDs who don't base truly their doctrine on the Bible. These books are based on the Bible, all the ones we hold up. This is a sermon. Now, let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. I want to go over something that John the Baptist, not John the Gospel writer, but John the Baptist, said about Jesus. John one twenty nine, Sorry, one verse 29. The next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. Jesus took the penalty for all human beings who will accept it. But it doesn't apply to individual humans until after God calls them and grants us repentance. John 6.44 We have to be willing to repent, come to believe God. Not only do we believe in Jesus, we believe the Son and we believe the Father. That's why we believe what they say. And we prove it by repenting, being baptized, being granted God's Holy Spirit, and actually trying to live as a father and son would have us live. The Passover helps show that. But Jesus came to take away the sins for more than just simply the elect in this church age. Consider that the Day of Atonement happens after the church age. Because the Feast of Trumpets, the last trumpet, pictures the end of the church age. Because that's, that's when that occurs. So this comes afterwards. And it isn't that the atonement doesn't have any meaning for us now. And again, we, we are to uh, uh, we fast, we humble ourselves. And it was kept by uh, early Christians. But also, we understand that we're not the ones being called now. Now, the Bible teaches that Jesus kept the law and he didn't sin, Hebrews 4.15. So therefore, he kept the fall holy days, including the Day of Atonement. Now, people recognize that and understand that. Now, I've quoted this before from Herbert Armstrong, but I'm going to Acts 27, verse 9. Just read the last part of it. Says sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over. Now this was written by Luke. Now what was Luke referring to according to commentators? Well, the Day of Atonement. I'm going to read from Matthew Henry's commentary. Acts 27 9. Sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already passed. That is the family famous yearly fast of the Jews, the Day of Atonement, which was on the tenth day of the seventh month, a day to afflict the soul with fasting. Of course, early Christians were doing this as well. And here's from the Wycliffe Bible Commentary. Acts 27, 8, 9. The fast to which Luke refers to is the Day of Atonement. Now consider that Luke, who is a Greek, who wrote in Greek, used that term for Christian audience, and he was writing to Theophilus, which is a Greek name, so another Greek, demonstrates that the Day of Atonement was known and recognized and observed by early Christians. He presumed that Christians would realize uh, when this fast was because they were keeping it. Now, if they hadn't been keeping this, Luke probably would have had to use a different expression. But he knew his Greek-reading Christian audience already would have understood this. You don't have to go there, but we know that the Apostle Paul kept the Day of Atonement. Next. Uh, 28.17, he said, Men and brethren, though I've done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, they were keeping the Day of Atonement. And Philippians 3, you might go there, uh, the uh, third chapter of the book of Philippians, starting in verse 4, read something else the Apostle uh, Paul wrote. 
Men and brethren, excuse me, Philippians 3, verse 4. Though I also might have confidence of the flesh, if anyone thinks he has confidence of the flesh, I am more so. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the laws of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So obviously Paul was keeping the holy days because that's all the Pharisees would have attempted to do that anywhere. Now, the Hebrew words kafar, Strong's word 37.22, and kofar, Strong's word 37.24, is where we get the word uh, atonement, Kibrerium. In Leviticus 23.27, comes from, literally, where it comes from, it literally means to, to, to cover or to cover over. And if we go to Romans chapter 4, so we're tying the Hebrew into the uh, New Testament. Uh, Romans 4, starting in verse 5, Paul wrote, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from his works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Blessed are those whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man for whom the Lord does not impute sin. This idea of atonement has conveys covering up, covering of, of sins. Now let's go to First Peter, First Peter chapter two. First Peter two, starting in verse uh, twenty-one, Peter wrote, "For this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example." That, that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. He who bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. This is something Christians need to realize, and the Day of Atonement serves an annual reminder. Now, Christians kept the Day of Atonement after the New Testament was written. Now, this is important to realize. Jesus was the atoning sacrifice, and early Christians knew that, and they kept this day. They didn't think it was uh, uh, nailed to the stake or whatever. It was not. That wasn't the way they how they viewed it. Yes, I know traditions from Greco-Roman Protestants are that, but that's simply not the case. There's an Arabic document that dates from the fifth to tenth century A.D. It states that Jesus' disciple kept the Day of Atonement on the same day the Jews did. They were fasting then. They weren't doing this 50-day thing, like the Lenten fast, which is a partial fast. And Jesus didn't keep it. Keep that. And there are various historians who have reports that uh, support this. There's also a Jewish account that was recorded in their Talmud. Now, that's not the Bible. It was just kind of 
interpretations, if you will. But anyway, uh, this was a, uh, I read this from a Roman Catholic scholar by the name of uh, Bugatti. He said it was recorded that an early 2nd century uh, Christian named uh, Jacob, this is from like 100 to 120 AD, I had a discussion with Jewish scholars about the Day of Atonement. And in it, uh, the Christian explained how it was a reminder which showed that Christ is the head of the angels and we're to be blameless in our conduct. And in Revelation 20, verse 1, we see that uh, God has an angel binding Satan. This will be another fulfillment related to uh, the Day of Atonement. Because it does also show that Christ is the head of the angels and that Satan is not. Interestingly, even though uh, the Greco-Romans and Protestants don't keep the Day of Atonement, I'd like to read what Origin of Alexandria from the 3rd century wrote. A Day of Atonement is necessary for all who have sinned. Well, that would be everybody. And for this reason, among the festivals of the law, which contains visions of heavenly mysteries, one certain festival is held, which called the Day of Atonement. Yet, Oddly, Origen discouraged people from fasting on that day, uh, which is also indirect proof that people were fasting this day, otherwise he wouldn't be telling people not to do that. It was also reported that early Christians kept the Day of Atonement in Antioch uh, the same time uh, uh, Jews observed uh Yom Kippur, which is, their, which is their Day of Atonement. And we have a succession of leaders in the Church of God, essentially from Antioch uh, through the 4th century, uh, pretty much. There's a couple of names we don't know. Uh, these are people who were Church of God people, uh, Church of God leaders. They taught that the Bible should be understood literally. They kept Passover on the 14th. Uh, they were Benetarian, uh, like all early Christians. Uh, etc. And again, they were keeping the Day of Atonement still. Now, also, we know this because from Canon 69 and 70 of the Syrian Apostolic Canons, and that would have probably included the area, Syria would have included the area of the, uh, called uh, Antioch, they said you couldn't, you shouldn't be able to fast the time the Jews were doing it, which also says that there were people doing this. More and more acknowledgement in the early centuries of Christianity, people felt they needed to keep the Day of Atonement. And by the way, Antioch was a Greek area. This is not, there were some Jews there, but it's simply not just only the Christian Jews were doing it. No. Christian Christians were keeping it. Oh, so let me read you a, a, a quote. They, they said if there was any bishop, this, this is from the so-called Syriac Apostolic Canons. It says, if any bishop, presbyter, deacon, or any one of the clergy keeps a fast or festival with the Jews, let them be disposed, let them be excommunicated. So there was a distinction a separation that was made uh, in the uh, third and fourth centuries uh, 
in Antioch uh, between those who were in the Church of God and those who uh, were, let's say, Greco, Greco-Romans. And John Chrysostom, in the late 4th century, uh, he gave a sermon, said that there's many among them who are going to uh, uh, keep the feast with the Jews and observing their fast, which would include the Day of Atonement. Okay, let's see. Also, yeah, that's why I didn't want to go any further from there. There were comments by the uh, Greco-Roman doctor of their church, Jerome, and the historian Epiphanius, uh, near the t- that time concerning the Nazarene Christians, and it supports the fact that they were also keeping uh, the Day of Atonement. Let's see here. I want to uh, say that at that time, uh, the Nazarene Christians also taught about the millennium and believed that uh, the Feast of Tabernacles helped picture it. Yet, this ended up being condemned by the Greco-Romans. Let me read something from uh, the Eastern Orthodox. Kiliasm, from the Greek word meaning a thousand, is a belief based on Revelation 20, verses 2 to 7. In its classical form, which interprets Revelation 20 verses verbatim, in other words, says that the Bible means what it says, Kiliasm uh, teaches that Satan will be bound by Christ for a thousand years, at which time Jesus and the saints will reign in the earth, and Satan will be finally defeated and the eternal kingdom of God will be inaugurated. It says, Though some ancient church fathers of the first three centuries A.D. had Kiliast leanings, the Orthodox Church formally denounced Kiliasm at the Second Ecumenical Council in 381. Now, if you're Eastern Orthodox and you think your church had the original faith, why would your church then have changed? It's admitted that early people that uh, the Eastern Orthodox considered church fathers or saints kept it. The original belief was, yes, that there is a thousand-year reign, and yes, Satan will be on for a thousand years. And it's also condemned by, by the Roman, Roman Catholics. Now, what's interesting is I'd like to read, read something. Uh, two things from Roman Catholic sources. One is from a book called What's the Bible Say About End Times? And this does have a, uh, an imprimatur on it. Revelation 20. God has always respected our freedom of choice between covenant fidelity to Him and apostasy. That seems to be the theological point of this thousand-year period that is relatively free from satanic temptations. Uh, no, the Bible says Satan will be bound. Now, I want to read something else from a... Uh, Roman Catholic source. This is from Catholic Biblical Quarterly. And it says, Since the Holy Office decreed on July 21st, 1944, it can't be safely taught that Christ at His second coming will reign visibly with some of His saints risen from the dead for a period before the final judgment. 
St. John gives us a spiritual recapitulation of the activity of Satan and the spiritual reign of the saints with Christ in heaven and his church on the earth. When Christianity triumphs over the beast, Satan was changed. With the reappearance of the beast in the anti-Christian world empire, the seventh head, he will be chained, unchained and muster his force against the church and peak persecution under Antichrist. Meanwhile, the church has enjoyed its millennium with Christ enthroned among the, the nations. Now why did I read that? Notice, they suggest that Satan's been gone for a thousand years. Does any uh, thinking person believe that Satan was ever bound from the earth for a thousand years? We didn't have a thousand years period of time with Satan here. And oddly, some people uh, don't think you know, think that the millennium has happened, and that certainly certainly is not the not the case. Now, I was talking about historical references. Uh, there were Sabbath keepers in Transylvania in the 1500s and later who kept up all holy days. Uh, let me read something from a Seventh Day Adventist uh, historian. And by the way, the Adventists don't keep the Day of Atonement. He wrote, "Sabbatarians viewed themselves as converted Gentiles." Okay, that's how I view myself. They held to the biblical holy days. The Day of Atonement was a day of fasting. Okay, and it is to us to this day. So again, this is throughout history. Now, I've got something from the Jewish Quarterly. This is from a Jewish source about the Sabbatarians of Hungary. It says, Andreas Iossi of Svent Erzabet, which was a rich Zezekeli of noble, noble birth. He owned three villages, a great number of estates, and he had been visited by various trials. He lost his wife and his three sons, and uh, he became religious. He read, read the Bible and uh, became Sabbatarian. When he recognized the truth, he tried to tell others and he composed treatises, prayers, and hymns. He sent copies of these and let them out in all directions. He didn't possess knowledge of Hebrew, and he only had a slender acquaintance with the classics. However, he was well-versed in church history and was completely and was completely master of the Old and New Testament from which he derived his teaching. He was an enemy of the scholastic theology, that is, the traditions that... Uh, uh, the priests and bishops pushed. And he, he said, They asked me in vain where I discovered the true way of salvation since I sojourned neither in Padua nor Paris. So he didn't go to their great universities. As if salvation consisted of knowing many heathen writings and many heathen languages. He had various fellow workers. And about 1600, there was compiled an old hymn book of the Sabbatarians, probably by Yasi. Yossi himself, and we've learned a lot of doctrines from this. There are a lot of paraphrases of the Psalms. You know, this comment, our songbook, by the way, which is also available at the ccg.org website, is mostly paraphrases of the Psalms, set to music, just like they were doing. And they had uh, festive songs. Various ones with various of the holy days. There were 44 related to the Sabbath. Uh, 
11 to the Passover, 6 to Pentecost, 6 to the Feast of Tabernacles, 3 to the day of of Feast of Trumpets, and 1 to the Day of Atonement, which means we're keeping it, otherwise it would not have been doing that. So again, we see throughout history that the Church has kept it, True Christians were keeping it uh, uh, throughout throughout history. Why? To remind us that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. To remind us that we've sinned. To remind us that we need the blood of Christ to cover, cover our sins. But it also has a message that God has a plan, not just for those who are called now, but those who will be called in the age to come. I'd like to read from the Statement of Beliefs of the Continuing Church of God under the heading, The Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, called the Fast in the New Testament, Acts 27.9, helps show our own weaknesses and the need to be closer to God. And cites Isaiah 58, verses 5 and 11. This day shows that Jesus was the atoning sacrifice for our sins now. 1 John 4, 9 through 10. Compare favorably also to Leviticus 16, verses 15 to 16. And that those will be called in the age to come, which Jesus referred to in Matthew 12, 32, uh, Mark 10, 30, uh, uh, Luke 18, 30. And it's also, look at, it's referred to in uh, Acts 3, verse 21. The Atonement also helps picture that Satan has a role in the sins of humankind and that he will be punished by being bound a thousand years, which did not happen. Those who claim that the millennium's already happened have not paid much attention to world history. We've not had a thousand years that Satan has not been around causing problems and encouraging people to sin. You know, he encouraged people to sin in the Garden of Eden, which we talked about before. He's encouraged humankind to sin from that time to present. Before humans were made, God knew that humans would sin. As I read from the scriptures in the New Testament, Jesus was foreordained to die for our sins before the foundation of the world. We recognize this, and one of the ways God wants us to remember this is by keeping the Day of Atonement and afflicting our souls. A day that happens once a year, a day that true Christians kept throughout history, and a day that we in the continuing Church of God keep now, in a day that we hope you'll keep as well. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God.